0: Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast. It's our 80th episode. It's our New Year's edition, and today we have a special guest, which is Toby Sim. So welcome Toby to the new, edi- new year edition of the GPS Training Podcast. Hello, John. Hello and welcome. Toby this year has walked the length of Britain, from Cape Wrath, the most northerly tip of Britain's mainland, to Hastings, his home in the southeast of England, a journey of just over 1,200 miles. Toby came on our radar because he actually came and bought a GPS unit off us plus a solar panel backpack and a two-way tracker and, and two backpack tether which always confused me because I looked I was just looking back through the trail and you you bought one before you started Toby then you bought one in August so we maybe discussed the downfall of the backpack tether a little bit later on on the interview. So that's how Toby came into um, into our view um We've followed him a, a fair bit as he's been on this great journey. So first of all, who is Toby Sims? What's your background? Let's take walking out of the equation at this moment in time, Toby.
1: Well, tell me all about yourself, really. It's a bit of a mixture, I'm afraid. I was, uh, first of all, a musician. Uh, I was a composer. Um, I wrote children's music for the BBC and others. I've been an opera singer. I spent um, three years in Siberia. Um, I think the lowest temperature was minus forty seven. That's it. I, I I got off the aeroplane at Krasnoyarsk and it, it was Minus 47. You no, know, Toby,
0: I'm going to stop you there because the, the listeners don't know before we uh, started the recording, I was telling you how proud we had minus 10 and then Toby just trumps me as we record saying, I beware, it's minus 47. <laughs> so well done, Toby. That's, that's a bit cooler than Northumberland in uh, in December. So go back to Siberia, sorry.
1: <laughs> well, the trouble is I'd left my hat on the train going to Gatwick, so uh, it, it was uh, quite cold. Oh, I can uh, imagine. So I've spent... Uh, time as a singer there, um, coming back to England I've been a wild entertainer um, and I've been a priest in the Russian Orthodox Church and uh, I'm also a trustee of a little charity that puts on talks of Jungian depth psychology and these days I earn my living as a funeral celebrant
0: wow what a contrasting life i'm going to go back to the the um composer days when you worked a little bit for the bbc so where were you yeah. based for that then were you based in in, in london or manchester or whereabouts i
1: was oh, it was before i moved to hastings but i was still in east sussex and um yes i mean it didn't really matter where you live because you sit at home at the piano and you stuff why I say uh, it was that is enormous fan yeah. Why <laughs> I
0: say that is people don't know this about me, but uh, my father was a professional musician for the BBC, he awesome. played for the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. So, there you are, based Did in you? Manchester. So, uh, you never know, he might have played some of your work in the past. So, uh, yeah, might have done. Yeah. So, a bit of a link there. So, a very contrasting background. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that before you started. So, what made you um walk the length of Britain. Was this something you've always wanted to do? Is this something that kind of was just one of these crackpot moments? Or it's usually New Year's Day, isn't it, when we decide to do things like this?
1: I did a long walk in my 20s. And that was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. And uh, then a, a whole lot of time passed, including the time I was in Russia. And But about five years ago, I started just fantasizing a little bit about doing another long walk. And um, I didn't tell anybody about it for three years. I just let it, you know, sift and develop. And then I told my partner and she seemed to think it was a good idea. And so about two years ago i thought right i'm going to do it and i couldn't have done it in those two years because of covid but i decided in any case i wanted to do it celebrate right my 60th birthday um so yes i felt at the age of 60 i needed all the help i could get so um i did invest in some very good equipment and i have no regrets about that
0: yeah and did you did you train leading up to this walk or did you just start off and think right i'm going to train as i walk through that walk did you start something right i need a training plan to get my fitness up there or were you already a keen walker that kind of thought right if i get going i can do 13 20 miles a day and also the camping side of things because you will had to have
1: um wilderness camped for the first section at least wouldn't you bit of both actually there just wasn't time Uh, most days anyway so um i just extended that as much as i could and then i thought well i'm just going to have to learn on on the job so i did i went up there and started and the weather at the start was the most appalling um Day one was okay. It was fantastic day one because I got a wonderful send-off. Uh, day two, there was horizontal rain and hail. And I got to the end of the day and I had to pitch the tent on peat bog because the Cape Roth Trail, most of it is peat bog. And um, I just had to find the least wet bit I could. And I'd only pitched the tent twice before. Um, but it's it, the ground sheet uh, kept the water out, and I was okay. Cause the the first... following day... Go on. Yeah, go on, John. I was going to say, the first section you did really was Cape Wrath to Ullapool,
0: um, which is along the Cape Wrath Trail, isn't it? Oh, I suppose it, it, the Cape Wrath Trail comes all the way down to Fort Williams, doesn't it? Am I right yes. by that? Yes. yes. So you did 91 yes. miles to Ullapool, and then another 147 miles on... T- is it 147 to Fort William, or is that another...
1: Uh, I'd have to consult my um, uh, records to see exactly how far I ended up doing on each section. It it wasn't exactly how I had planned it, um, but it was the eventual total was pretty much the same.
0: Because that, so first, day, yeah, that first day, that first day really, that first way down to uh, Ullapool, you're going to see absolutely nothing. are you got um, no pubs. Um, oh, I think you passed two pubs. I think if I remember well, from what I've read in my research.
1: It, it, Two pubs. The first one, the bar was closed to non-residents, um, <laughs> and the second one, um, they, they, they took one look at me um, as a wet, muddy walker, and they decided their bar wasn't open to non-residents <laughs> either. So it, the, the experience of pubs in the first bit wasn't great. Um, but I did have a bottle of whiskey with me, which made up.
0: Because pretty- uh, I did notice on your website you did have route space. So you were blogging in the pubs as you walked. And I noticed yeah. you, you, in your planning, when I, I was reading some of your planning notes, you kind of like, say Ullapool, 91 miles, two pubs, no shops, ETA. Uh, I know it was really the 30th of May. You actually started on the 31st of May. You started a bit later than what you wanted to. But you'd actually plotted how many pubs you'd walk past. So it must be quite um, depressing when you <laughs> come across them and they close the doors to some some uh, some dirty smelly ramble of that
1: frankly should better awful it was absolutely <laughs> awful but um the the pubs got better um and uh yeah sorry i i've sort of lost lost the track of where i was no you're saying that you
0: say you're saying the you're saying the uh the first section was very remote, you hadn't put your camp it was very boggy um you didn't really you you didn't really see anybody, and that real sense of isolation. I think for that that, that first section, certainly
1: at least to Ullapool, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, to be honest, all, all the way to Glenfinnan, at least very close to Fort William, it was empty. Did you empty. question at this point why you were doing it, or is this just
0: is this what you were mentally expecting? Because I'm I'm always amazed by the mentally how you go from all this busyness of getting ready for a trip to suddenly. I'm on my own I'm doing it and actually wow is it is it a buzz or is it
1: what am I doing neither it was it was about doing it and the meaning of the walk gradually revealed itself and it was very much a spiritual journey as well as a physical journey um I think I'll return to that a little way further down the trail.
0: So when you when you're going on about the, the the journey, did you think of it as a complete journey, or did you mentally break it down into your your sections as well? Do you know, like the first section to Fort William, because mentally, we thought I've, I've got to go out and walk one thousand two hundred miles. It's quite a, a well, it's quite a hard thing to even just consider, isn't it? Or did you go out and think, right, I've got ninety one miles for my first section to Ullapool, or did you just do it without thinking or i just overthink everything maybe i don't know
1: i just was doing it day to day i didn't really believe i was going to finish it until about halfway um it, it the the first couple of weeks really tested me um day 3 it was I think it's the only actual peak on the Cape Roth trail, is Ben Brevi up at the top, and this was day three, and I, I was not walked in at this stage, and I had a ridiculously heavy pack, because I had to carry a whole week's supply of food, because I knew I wasn't going to pass a shop until I got to Wallapool. So um, I was absolutely exhausted. And I had got to the top of this mountain, and it was just awe-inspiring. And I thought, I'll pitch my tent as soon as I get down into the lee of the mountain, because it was quite windy, and I didn't want to pitch up on the top. So I came down a bit, found a place, and then the heavens opened. It absolutely poured with rain. And I got the tent up, and absolutely miles from anywhere on the top of the mountain, and I just stood there, gaping at the tent, wondering whether on earth it was going to stay up for the night. And then I realised I could feel the water sort of bouncing up, you you know, when rain is really hard and it it sort of bounces up and it was going into my arms and into my... and I realised it it just had to stay up because I couldn't risk standing out there and looking at it and wondering what else I could do any longer. So I got in, leapt into my sleeping bag, having removed my wet things, put on all the dry clothing I could find um, and just prioritised warmth over nourishment and uh, i think i had a handful of nuts and a sip of whiskey and just curled up and the tent did hold up and had it not done so that would probably have been the end of the walk but um, it
0: did and was that the first time you kind of made you realize how strong you were how quickly you recovered from those situations because you again you would have crawled into the tent going oh, this is awful and then you fed yourself, have a quick drink, and you wake up in the morning and you kind of go, I'm back again, and actually I'm ready to go, and I feel 90% where I went to bed feeling 60%.
1: It was very much just about putting one foot in front of the other, and I never had that sense of, yeah, I'm gonna do this. It was just about getting through that day, and, if I, say, if I say getting through the day, I don't mean that it, it wasn't enjoyable. There were some incredibly wonderful moments, particularly when the sun come, came out, which it didn't do very often in Scotland. But um, I, I really wasn't thinking about the end of the walk at all mm. until much nearer the end.
0: But I think that's how any successful person gets through life, isn't it, by just one step at a time. You know, if you if you, you know, with anything, you no, know, this is this is how we all get through, isn't it, right? What we're going to do today. We we know what the bigger picture is. We know what we want to achieve with our lives or with our businesses or with our expeditions in, in your case, but you then break it down and and it's it's what we're gonna do this day, what we're gonna do this hour, what we're going to do in the next ten minutes. And that's the only way mentally this is why I was asking about the fuller picture, but you've answered your question. Actually you can't think can't think of the fuller picture because actually it's just too too big to think about isn't it really
1: yeah yeah
0: it's just one step at a time so we did 12 weeks three days six hours and 57 minutes uh <laughs> to accomplish this journey 69 days of walking um so yeah 69 days of walking 19 rest days and so there's a total of 88 days. I must say, actually, I'm I'm very impressed by that timing. I've, I've, I'm someone who's longingly looked at walking the length of Britain and kind of thought, how many months do I need off work to do it? And I kind of go, hmm, if he can do it in that long, that's not bad going, really. Especially when I've seen the video of the size of the pack that you've already mentioned. We'll discuss that a little bit later I- when, that's the biggest pack I've seen in my life. <laughs> so... <laughs>
1: Yes, uh, uh, I I soon started sending things home um, yes. that I thought were absolutely essential, and then I found I actually didn't need them quite as much as I thought I did.
0: I've I've heard a lot of people say that where who have done long distance walks, they send home their, their all the things they they believe they should do, but actually they end up not needing. Uh, they soon discover within the first two or three weeks that it's just excess weight that they put in their in and out of their bags on a daily basis, isn't it? So yeah. So you start on the 31st of May, as I already said, I think it was started
1: l- on the 25th of
0: May, 25th of May, you were planning to start a little bit earlier, is that right, were we delayed or were we always it's on the 25th really, of Not really, no, May? I think,
1: I think the 25th of May was it, you know, I, about six months earlier I'd settled on that date and I'd stuck to it. Um, and thinking about the whole journey, what was your favourite
0: section of the whole journey and... And why, Or I'm happy to have a couple of favourite sections, but what was the section you kind of thought, yeah, I feel at peace now and I'm thoroughly enjoying it and the scenery's, yeah, better than I expected it to be?
1: There are so many high points. And actually, some of the low points, in retrospect, are high points. So I'll just mention a few of them. And, of course, you can edit out any of them no, you don't want to use. we're here
0: for the long haul. Don't you worry, we're not going anywhere to
1: <laughs> OK, so I, I think that the next one that really springs to mind is when the sun first came out, which was, I think, day 10 and day 11. And it was in such a remote part of the West Highlands and there was a clear sky and just the reflection of that sky in the little lochs was so wonderful and the sense of I'm heading along with a kind of a path and it doesn't matter how far I get and the sense of utter freedom in that beauty beyond words the next one <clears throat> I think it's day 17 and no day 18 I, I caught the edge of a tropical storm and it was the, the last day before Glenfinnan so uh, I was heading towards Corrie Bothy. Bothick the wind got up to something between gale force and storm force, and it was blowing right in my face. The rain was very heavy. It, it was so painful that I couldn't actually look ahead. I had to keep my head down and sort of look up once every 30 seconds to just check I was going in the right direction. It would have been peat bog anyway, but with all this rain, it was a floodplain. I had come too far to turn back. There was no question of pitching the tent on the on flowing water. And I did that day what was probably the only stupid thing I did. Um, the, the route took me across the river. Uh, And like most of the rivers on the Cape Wrath Trail, you just have to ford it. Normally, in dryish weather, that wouldn't have been a problem. But the current was so strong. So what I did, I put my feet upstream of boulders so that the current would press the feet back onto the boulders. And I'd got trekking poles, and i just inched my way across on all fours one uh, leg at a time and I made it. But if if I had, if the current had got me and pushed me over backwards heaven knows what would have become of me. But I made it. Um, so I went on and finally made it to Kori Bothy and there was nobody else there. There was dry wood. I made a wonderful fire and dried all my clothing out before the fire and I'd got a good slug of whiskey left. That was a wonderful evening.
0: Was that the remotest section of the whole trip? Do you know that top section
1: really? Oh, yeah. By a long way. It, by a long way. It It's... Because you, you can't compare it to any of the other sections, so, so much so that actually once I got to the Pennine Way, um, I found it so tame by comparison to the West Highlands. And the other thing is that the Cape Roth Trail, it may take you through some of the most mountainous uh, c- country in Scotland. But it at least has the decency to take you up Glen over the pass and then down another Glen. Whilst the Pennine Way seems to think that you want to go over all the hills. And a lot of them are not that interesting. It's just sort of flattish dull moorland and very dull compared to the West Highlands. So I quickly realised the thing to do with the Pennine Way is to use it where it's handy and to come off. Uh, some of the other sections and I think one of the most fabulous sections was uh, one of those days I came off the Pennine Way which was um, oh what's it called not Wensleydale, the other one Wharfdale and it was a lovely hot sunny day and I could just walk by the river so I could get the miles under my feet and I was looking up at the beautiful countryside that I would otherwise have been walking up and down over and I was perfectly happy Uh, I think that was lovely.
0: So going back to Scotland then what or I'm assuming it's gonna be Scotland the most remote days what was the longest time you didn't see a person for and what was the longest time you didn't see a shop or civilization or a pub or or something along those lines so how long there how long did you have isolation without seeing a person or did you come across the the odd hill shepherd or um, anybody else doing the trail?
1: Uh yes. I it I don't think there was a single day when I didn't see a person. That's brilliant. There were a few days I only saw about six people. I think it was because most people do the Cape Roth Trail in the other direction. <coughs> right. So you're walking against the traffic then. Exactly. So if I had been going north I would have passed far fewer. But so anyway, that was about it six people a day. And why are
0: you speaking to these people? Are you a sociable person or do you just
1: get your head down and carry on? Oh, I loved speaking to them when they uh, were happy to uh, share their experiences. Um, And I met a lot of people particularly further south um, who were doing Land's End to John O'Groats. And there was one day I actually met three different people we were doing Lands End to John O'Groats, and those were the only, only the ones I spoke to. Wow! So there were probably others, uh, and that was in Scotland. So I imagine there must be sort of round about April. I think there must be at least half a dozen people set off from mm-hmm. Lands End every day. That's amazing. And what was the
0: longest uh, period of days that you would never had a shop or a pub on route? Then, or I know oh, you well, said that would,
1: uh, yeah, that would have been the first from the first week to Ullapool was. Um, the no shops and the only pubs I passed uh, wouldn't let me in. So that was uh, that was the longest with, without civilization. I think there was there were two days when I didn't pass a road um, or a motorised vehicle. I, I, I think one of those days there were only two buildings that I saw. So that was as remote as it got. Um, But as I got further south, there were still some wonderful experiences. Um, I walked along the canals from Burton-on-Trent to Stratford-on-Avon and I loved doing um, walking along the canals because it, it was a complete change of scenery and I loved getting that variety. Similarly, I went right into the heart of Glasgow. Um, Oh gosh, that was one of the gems of the walk. Um, I I don't know whether anybody else has come across this. Uh, I don't think many of the long distance walkers go through Glasgow, but there's a a little trail called uh, the Kelvin Walkway. And it brings you into Glasgow from the north. And there's a little strip of wild land either side of the river kelvin and so you can walk right into the heart of glasgow and there are streets and cars and buildings up above your head but you don't know they're there that's absolutely wonderful brilliant thank you um
0: We talked a little bit about your your famous rucksack. I saw you start off with this this massive rucksack on your back. What weight was that rucksack at the start of your Did you actually weigh it before you started? You know,
1: I I never weighed it. (laughs) Uh, It was well over 20 kilograms when I started. Um, Oh, wow. And I think I have got it down to about 10 kilograms.
0: That's my next question. you You halved the weight. So what things... If somebody's thinking of doing something similar in the future... What things did you take with you that you would not take again if you did the same trip? Cooking pot. Okay.
1: I would take less clothing. But on the other hand, you do have to have spare clothing, so you can't economise too much on that. I took too much food. I overestimated how much I was going to eat. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's a common thing. I hear this a lot, and something I've experienced as well. You, when you're doing something, and you think I'm not going to see anybody, you see anything. You do carry so much food, and then you get to the end, and you kind of take out everything that you've carried for. In, in my case, the last hundred miles or something, and and uh, so you, you do you do worry about it. And, and as you say, you
1: you you actually don't don't need to eat an awful lot in a day, do you? Really, I found I completely lost my appetite at the start of the walk, and. Uh, later on, I had to uh, just eat things like eggs and bacon, even if I wasn't particularly hungry, because um, just to make sure I had the calories and particularly the protein. Did you add
0: anything to your bag as the journey went on? There anything you, you wish you had started with uh, that you ended
1: up uh, finishing with at the end? Yes, and this was the thing that surprised me. I used maps, paper maps, all the way down the trail. And I thought I was going to manage with the very nice GPS unit that I bought from you. And had I been able to stick completely to my planned route, that would have been fine. But there were an awful lot of times I wanted to come off the route. And when I did, um, I found. Having maps invaluable and particularly for trying to plan ahead where I was going to spend the night because I was wild camping most of the way Um, that was inevitable in Scotland but I carried on in England as well so um, and with a walk of that length you can't really plan it out in days because something happens. I found walking through peat bogs, I was going at one mile an hour, which I found very demoralizing because I'd expected to, you know, average three miles an hour. And it did, hadn't occurred to me how much uh, peat bog was going to slow me down. So it was really impossible to determine more than that coming day where i was going to spend the night and that's where maps came in very handy because i could see how far i had to get
0: and were you buying and discarding these maps or were you buying a paper map and then using it and then discarding it and moving on to the next one because you surely can't carry maps for the whole of the country oh no
1: i posted them home <laughs> I've, I've i've got them all except one that is integrated but uh... I totally understand what you're saying is
0: that you can get a map out and go right tonight I'm going to try and get to here this looks like an area that has got water nearby etc cetera, etc cetera. Exactly, um, so yes. that you that bigger route planning which myself and I would have thought like with what we said about the GPS unit is you no know, you would have planned it all and, and known it but as you say you, you, you change your routes um, as you walked according to the weather the train, and I suppose how you were feeling
1: as well and I think that's one thing I would advise anybody doing this sort of walk. Um, I had the uh, it's the Garmin 66 SR, yes, which is a fabulous unit and it's lovely and compact and sits very comfortably on the rucksack strap, but I can only see about a mile ahead, mm-hmm. I think. Were I doing this again, I would get the bigger one, which I think is called the Montana. That's correct, yes. Um, which has got a much bigger screen, and it's a touch screen, which would have enabled me to see ahead without having to buy paper maps. So that's something I would do differently, but it was impossible to know that in advance. No,
0: that's exactly right. I, I say that to a lot of people with a look at GPS units. If you are someone who plans routes and walks that route and sticks to the route, a smaller screen GPS unit is ideal because it's lighter weight. Yeah, you follow yeah. an arrow on the screen, et cetera. But if you are someone that needs to plan on the hoof, as I would say, so actually I get to a location, and now want to reroute, a Montana gives you, I can look forward three or four or five kilometres. Where actually on a 66 SR, you're only looking forward, you know, a couple of kilometres really for the size of the screen, and then you can't see what's around you. you. Know, it's great if you stick to your route, but if you want to see what's in the valley bottom over there, whether you need to cross the river, you don't see that information. So I totally understand where that paper map then came in and complemented your navigation experience really. So you planned all the GPX files before you went, didn't you? So you you download all the GPX files, you join them all together. Um, but as you're saying, after a little while, you you yeah you started just planning as you went, really, didn't you? I think.
1: Yes. Um, also, because for a whole variety of reasons, I didn't want to stick, or in some cases, I wasn't able to stick to the uh, route that I had planned. Um, so, um, yes, I I got every detail of the entire route planned out and then I did something slightly different in the end. Did you um, power
0: yourself? I suppose this kind of ties a little bit into your accommodation. So in your whole trip, how many nights do you spend in a hotel, B&B, hostel compared to your wild camping? I don't want an exact figure, but are we talking 5%, 10% where you
1: you, you stayed in accommodation? It was probably about 20% overall um much more further south uh half the entire nights were wild camping right there were a few nights on campsites
0: so going back to your gps unit you i know you bought a power pack and solar panel just to understand really for the the listeners did you manage to keep it powered with that uh, throughout cuz you wouldn't have seen mains electricity for for well weeks on end to be honest did you
1: i Yes, I think think the solar panel is absolutely fantastic if you're walking south to north because you've got the panel on your back and I hadn't really taken account of, of that, that actually the sun was shining on the solar panels for a relatively small part of the day and I really needed them at the north half of the walk where there weren't that I could pop into to charge the GPS up um, and it rained almost every day mm-hmm. so in Scotland. So
0: Did you run out of power then with the GPS unit? Uh, never. A, right okay no. so even in torrential weather with your power bank which is your bank of course um, solar panel yes less in Scotland because of the weather you did manage to keep, keep yourself powered up um, throughout the whole trip then didn't you yes yeah. so I always think just thinking out loud really with solar panels one thing I've learned a lot with solar panels is, is is exactly what you've said for the listeners is they need to if they if they point at the sun you literally get six or seven times as much power than they have when they're not pointing at the sun so often if you're camping and, and uh, I know you in Scotland said it was raining on time but if you're camping and it's a nice evening just propping your solar panel looking at the sun in the evening sun for an hour will put as much power into your power bank as it will have it on the back of your rucksack for your seven or eight, eight hours of walking when it's facing the wrong way. And a lot of people think, oh, I put up my rucksack, it looks very cool, it's very... Per- it, it's, it looks it looks the business. But actually just putting it next to your tent and pointing it at the sun for an hour, an hour and a half can get a lot more power in than having it on the back of your rucksack all the time, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Did you power your mobile phone as well, or did you did you just power your, your gps unit with the with the, the power bank of the solar panel
1: um i used it for the phone as well um and i was chiefly using the phone because i kept a daily blog yeah um, and if your listeners are interested they can look at it it's at walk home to hastings dot net i was wondering how you
0: did your blog actually because i saw you blogged every day and, and I thought, how, how are you writing that? So you
1: did it on your, on your mobile phone. I um... did it on my mobile. I didn't usually put a, the post up on the day because there just wasn't time in the day. I'd usually scribble a few notes down in the tent when I got to the end of the day. And when I had a day off, I would spend the whole day catching up on my blog posts. So how often did you
0: log online to update? It was like every week or something like that, did you update the blog posts or or not that often? I know you wrote them every day, but how often did you manage to log on and update them online? Oh, it
1: varied, yes. Anything from a week. uh, Sometimes I did it every day. Um, But I I needed to have quite a short walking day to have time to write about it as well and upload it. Did you find that... Uh, therapeutic uh,
0: to be, to write that down at the end of each day, just to kind of, yeah, draw a line under it and move
1: on to the next day? It was incredibly important to me to include other people in the walk. I felt that they were with me and I was walking with all my, my partner and my friends and um, many of them uh, put comments on the blog and that was that sense of support was of immense immense um help to me and i think many of my friends took huge pleasure in sharing the walk with me
0: i just read through it a little bit before the interview it is it is amazing really to follow you because again we all know certain areas of it. So, you no, know, you, you naturally go through the areas you've walked and, and see your experiences of that. You no, know, um, you know, kind of with Scottish borders, Northumberland, as you know, down the Pennines are uh, areas I've walked to see you walking some of the long distance trails. I've, I've walked extensively. You do. Uh, yeah. It's, it's fascinating to see your, your outlook on that actually. And, and actually you're quite thoughtful in the way you think back. So actually when you walk through Northumberland, which is our, uh, our, our, uh, Backyard as such, you no, know, you 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 rightly could compare it to what you had walked before, and 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 uh, the the rolling hills of the the cheviot Hills you you discussed and those kind of thing before you went on onto the Pennine. So it's actually quite fascinating to to read some of that we we know reasonably well, but actually to see it yeah. from an outsider's eyes who have come from covering far more different landscapes than well I'll ever cover in my lifetime during walking in the UK anyway.
1: yeah um sorry what was the question well I suppose there
0: wasn't really a question was there really it's just it's, it's i suppose you you could reflect on where you had been you could compare it to where you you had been you did i suppose you didn't know what was ahead of yourselves but actually, it's quite a reflective way to, to 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 go through that journey isn't it really in cascade that onto onto other people um so yeah it's not really a question i suppose it's, it's a statement of 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 what you what you could uh, eventually um yeah all put down on that blog
1: I think the thing that was of the greatest importance to me on the walk, and it was something that I only really began to realize halfway through and I've really come to appreciate after I finished the walk, and that is the sense of connectedness. It was incredibly important to go from the most, the furthest point from home. The, the the far northwest tip of the UK. Um and Hastings is near as damn it to the southeast tip. Um, so I wanted to walk home. I wanted to connect the wilderness to home. That was incredibly important. And in a, as a kind of parallel to that, there was an inner connectedness it's it's really hard to explain this briefly um, and on a podcast but I did a great deal of contemplating (laughs) life walking along and I found I could connect back to my childhood in a way that I had never done before. And th- there is a, a connectedness, a, a line of access, which um, is still there, it's still there in me now. So is that, are you relating back to, when we started off this
0: conversation, you said you walked the Penn way in your younger days, and I suppose then life, in the nicest possible way, gets in the way. And then, as you get that little bit older, you now have that free time again to go back to and experience what
1: you did when you were in your 20s walking the Pennine Way. Is that. Uh, in my 20s, it wasn't the Pennine Way. It was I, I walked from home, which was fairly close to where I am now, um, to Holyhead, right? West yeah. tip of Wales. Um, so. How long did that take you just out of interest when you were in your that 20s? Was, that was a month, I
0: think. Right. Um, why, three... why did you do that in your 20s when the rest of the world was partying and drinking drink and learning about women? Um,
1: well, I was doing those things as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hence the beer blog. <laughs> and, and I'm still drinking beer and I'm still learning about women. Um, but... Uh, it, <laughs> I, well I've just loved walking um, I, this, I have a peace when I'm walking which I, I just get into a different space sure, I think
0: I always think with walkies it takes you back to the basics in life doesn't it Do You know, we have yeah. so much clutter in our lives so much going on, mobile phones communication, everything bombarded with it, 24 hours a day 7 days a week and when you're walking it's just going back to the basics, isn't it? You know, the basics of what you need to keep alive, which is eat, go to the toilet, and put one step in front of each other, and keep dry and warm. Yeah. And actually, it, it it's it's in our everyday lives that we just take that for granted because actually we we have our everyday life and and but when you go back to a pilgrimage or a route, that's what it's about, isn't it? It's just about Walking and looking after yourself, and looking after your feet, looking after your mind.
1: Yeah, it's it's a. And it's... some of the time, su- survival was what it was about. Um, and other times, it was just an absolute joy. Loch Lomond. That was the one I didn't mention. Um, I think that was the single most beautiful part of the walk. Um, The West Highland Way, as many of your listeners will know, goes right down the eastern shore of Loch Lomond. And it was, I had some of the rare sunny days there, and just to see the water gleaming and sparkling to my right, and going through this ancient oak woodland, um, and the woodland brings a sense of peace. That was that was wonderful those two days very slow going but worth it so i put i put down one of my questions which
0: I've <clears throat> two highlighted two left on this page i put what did you learn about yourself which you've just discussed and the other thing is what did you learn about your body how did your body react to day after day walking carrying a pack as you said you didn't do an awful lot of training leading into it so your body will have adapted over the um the days and the months so what did you learn about your body in, in this, this epic journey?
1: So Surprisingly little. I think I just have an ability to put one foot in front of another hour after hour, day after day. I can just do that. It doesn't hurt. I can just keep going. Um, I don't think I was particularly... Fitter at the end of the walk than at the start of the walk. Uh, I I was in better shape for walking, but I mean, that's fairly obvious, but I was a little bit thinner. Um, No, it was, it it was, it, it just worked. So no, I didn't really learn much no, about my body. that's, that's amazing, really.
0: No it blisters. No, no blisters. No, no rubbing of the shoes. No. Um... Oh,
1: that was. Uh, there was. Yeah, just, just. Uh, it was when my um, feet got wet, and the socks started to rub, and that was the only discomfort I had for my feet the whole way. Um, so that was a bit miserable. Um, and i got twinges in my arm every single day i think it was a trapped nerve or something like that but they seem pretty
0: trivial in mm-hmm. that respect mm-hmm. so if i was if i was speaking to or if you were speaking to yourself at the start of the walk and you'd already completed the walk what word of advice or what advice would you be giving yourself hope that makes sense so you're at the end of the walk you've completed it, you've learned everything of it, and you went back and spoke to yourself at the start, what bit of advice would you have given yourself, e.g. if somebody else was thinking about doing this, what word of advice would you give them?
1: Be patient with yourself. But above all, if you want to do it, just go and do it. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest bit of advice. If, 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 you, if you have a dream about doing a walk like this let it sit there for a little while because it's a big you know, it took three months of including preparation and recovering afterwards and it cost a frightful lot of money um, particularly thinking about lost income so make sure you really do want to do it, but if you do, just set off and do it and find out the problems as you're going, because you can solve them. And settling back into
0: life when he got back, was that easy or was this strange having this routine of kettles and heating and a bed to sleep in the same bed every night?
1: That's been one of the hardest things. Because life is so much simpler on a walk. Because you only have to think about putting one foot in front of another. And there's a kind of purity of experience. And then you get back and there are all sorts of practical problems to be dealt with, and it took me, I think, about two months before I could really just get to grips with everyday life again. That really was a surprise. Um, so that would be another very good thing to tell myself at the start of the walk. Keep in mind that it's going to be hard when you get back. And is there, is there a, a what's next or have we achieved
0: everything or is there an, another pilgrimage? Are you are you the kind of person that can sit and say, I've done something I've always wanted to do and I can sit back and save that moment? Or are you someone who says, I want to do something else?
1: I can't do that again because there was a, such a strong element of homecoming in it and all the way through the walk i was thinking i'm coming home i'm coming home to sussex to hastings and to the woman i love and that was such a big thing that and i'd done it i've come from the extreme northwest tip And I've come all the way home. I've I've done the homecoming. And I think that that action holds its symbolic value for the rest of my life. I don't think it's, it's, it's neither necessary nor actually possible to repeat that. But walking, certainly. Don't know what. I'd love to do the Appalachian Trail, actually.
0: It's funny because, is you, you rightly say, you've done something so unique and unique to you. And I almost respect you for doing that because actually you talk about people walking Land's End to John is, you know, A lot of people are like, I've ticked that box. Now you did something that was for you. You did a, a route for you. And that's quite unique, really, because, uh, yeah, I always say the water cooler moment. This is not a, a two minute conversation. I've walked from Land's End to Drug Roads. It's, I need to explain why I did it in this way, why I did the route. And actually, there's, as you rightly say, you you can never replicate that because it is that route. Um, and if you kind of yeah, you start in Europe and walk home, well, it's still, you're not passing through your home country, are you? So, as you say, it's it's impossible possible to replicate, I would have thought.
1: And, yes, and it's the most distant one. Um, Land's End and John O'Groats. Why would I want to walk to Land's End when I could walk home? Why would I want to start at John O'Groats when it's the landscape on the west of Scotland, which is wild and... and (laughs) Which is wild, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I spoke to um, a good friend called... Chris the Coast Walker guy called Chris walked around the coast of Britain and he said yes. his um and I walked a little bit with him when he, he passed through uh, Northumberland and he said that that section of the west coastline all around Cape Wrath and all around there he said it was desolate it was he he walked I can't remember that um the exact things he walked weeks and weeks without seeing a soul he did around there and uh he's just he just said it was like nothing could have prepared him for, for the isolation. But when he came down the um the the um the east coast it was kind of he soon rolled into a bit of civilization, you know. Yeah. Uh, that that sense of isolation up there he said was just amazing. You know, he had, he, he literally walked for days and days and days with like maybe up to a week without a mobile phone signal. He was wife started to worry and Because he just could never anticipate it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it was a Special part of the country is in that that, that top yeah. corner. So then finally, is there anything I've forgotten to ask you, do you think, in this interview, if you've used anything you kind of thought, I don't want you to hang up the microphone and go, ah, John was terrible. He never asked me about X, Y, and Z. Is there anything, any pearls of wisdom, anything that you think that listeners would like to hear, a, a funny story, a sad story, a happy story? Or... Habba ticked all the boxes
1: You may want to cut this bit out but the hardest thing in the walk was very very near the end and I got ill it was there was certainly some exhaustion in it and there was certainly some food poisoning in it um, but it, I had got to Winchester, which was about nine tenths of the way, and I just couldn't couldn't go any further, and I had to take twelve days out there. Wow! Okay. And that felt. I I had to come home because. Well, where, well I, I, you know, I be, would have been spending uh, night after night after night in an expensive hotel. <laughs> and it, it, that felt so demoralizing. And I found when I started again that I did manage to reconnect it. And what I did, I spoke through the whole journey. I can remember I was walking along and I spoke through, aloud, nobody else around, so it didn't matter. I, I went through every single day and every place I could remember with the high points and the low points. And I more and more felt that sense of connectedness. And I spoke about this sense of connectedness to my childhood, and I thought, if I can, through this walk, connect to a part of my childhood which was inaccessible, then I can join these two bits of the walk together as well. And so I kind of did it as an act of faith. And I mean that word faith. It's it, it, it's faith in the fullest sense. And so, yes, when I got finally made it home to Hastings, it felt like I was finishing the walk and coming home. And, and was you've mentioned
0: faith a number of times? Was it a pilgrimage? And was was
1: faith a big part of it? It it was certainly a pilgrimage. I think the walk itself was the pilgrimage. It it wasn't where I was walking to that made it the pilgrimage. The walk was the act of pilgrimage. And the the faith was what I found I had to have to connect the two halves of the walk together.
0: Mm -hmm. It's amazing, really, because actually, yeah, I wasn't aware of that Now, if you stepped out of it for that period and went back as you rightly say how do you mentally get back into it um, and yeah that's been wonderfully described really is yeah just going back thinking those memories reliving it it's like the you know the the sportsmen they say they they, they picture what's going to happen ahead of them they picture where they've come to get to that uh, that, that point and then they they get into the zone, don't they? As they call it, they get into the zone. Yeah. They're back where they need to be, and yeah. when a sportsman's in the zone, you know the the paths path that sorry the pass that should be 50-50 becomes an eighty percent chance it gets through this time because they're, yes. they're in the zone, aren't they? It it will it will succeed, and yeah, that's that's a it's a positive mental attitude, isn't it? Really,
1: <laughs> I suppose it is. Yes. So there, um, that seems to be a good point to finish
0: on um, you've already mentioned your website toby i'll mention it again so if people want to find out more about toby you can find out more on his website which is walkhometohastings.net. home to and toby's already mentioned this but the the blog is fantastic you know um it's, it's absolutely stunning there's a picture every day which i like <laughs> it breaks it up and it it captures that moment and you speak very openly um about that journey it's quite interesting to read some people's comments as they were uh, as they were they were following you as well which i, I think yeah you said um, kind of kept you going and and yeah it's 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 a massive um accomplishment um that blog because again you know i kind of started looking through it and like there's just so much there and and you capture that isolation of scotland then down to the the lowlands of of, of southeast england and the the pubs and the uh, just reading the, the blog on the pubs you no know, you, you have i was just looking at the first part and there's there's nothing at the start so Then you i think you were in a pub most nights for the last few bits i think there was a good <laughs> <night> to, <laughs> so but that 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 captures that moment doesn't it it captures that that journey of 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 you know moving to yeah moving into civilization and and and, and seeing those people and you must have been well-received when you walked into a pub and told someone you, what your journey was. They must be been like, wow, I hope plenty of them bought a drink for you.
1: There were some wonderful pubs on the way, uh, both from the point of view of serving fabulous beer and from when people took an interest and wanted to chat to me. Um, if I had to pick one pub as being the most memorable it would be the beaufort arms at hawkesbury upton on the cotswold way why is that then they i mean the beer was very very good um but all the it it was a lovely old-fashioned pub in that in that um it was very much an agricultural pub And all the people came in from farming and they were drinking their pints and they were all talking to me about the walk. And um, one of the locals said I could go and pitch my tent in his garden that night, uh, which I did. And uh, he gave me breakfast in the morning. Uh, But the, the warmth and friendliness of that pub was superb. I think the best beer was to be had at the Bon Accord in Glasgow, so, uh, which was um, Loch Lomond Brewery. Fantastic.
0: So you've drank your way down the country from end to end, haven't you? have tasted all the beers. <laughs> and, and looking at a picture of a few of the pints, you've got a very fine tasting beer as well, Toby. I, I can have a look and go, ooh, Black Sheep Brewery, ooh, such and such IPA. I could, <laughs> I could relate to them all. So, uh, yes. <laughs> A fine taste and dream. So, finally, many thanks, Toby, for joining me on the latest GPS training podcast. Uh, it's just the start of the year. I thought it'd be quite inspirational to hear you know, a journey or a story of, of Toby, um, who's yeah, set about this, planned it, and delivered exactly what he wanted. So, yeah, for 2023, why don't you do it? You know, if you've got an idea, if you've got yourself a dream, Um, it's the time to start planning. We only live once, we've all lived through some horrible years in the past uh, which I know Toby's uh, related to the the pandemic and we've got to do haven't we? We're all going to do what we want to do and uh, yeah hopefully wonderful Toby um, has given us a a great um, insight into the preparation, um, the journey and also the aftermath in the nicest possible way of uh, spending so uh, long away from home so from myself and all the listeners toby um, many thanks for joining me and uh, yeah best of luck for the future whatever you decide to do thank you john
1: thanks for listening to the gps training podcast
0: the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor
1: gps navigation